Uh, g'day friends, my name's Chris. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, g'day. It's great to have you here. Uh, in my former life, I was a maths teacher, so I think that's why I got the gig today, so I can look at the, the height and the width and the depth of Jesus' love. So please get out your graph paper and your rulers. Uh, we'll be learning about three dimensions today. Okay, note to self, don't ever do a maths joke from the pulpit again. <laughs> right, uh, right now, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Bible college student. Uh, I do that for three days a week. I'm a chaplain at La Trobe Uni for two days a week. Uh, what, what else am I? I'm a husband, uh, Beck's up the back. We've got a toddler, Walter, who's ragingly crazy, and we've got a uh, eight-month-old called Dougie. Uh, we live up near uh, Preston South Safeway. I don't know, what more do you want to know about me? Love an op shop, love cricket, love getting smashed uh, as I bowl. Talk to me about that uh, after the sermon. All right, today uh, we get a masterclass uh, on prayer from Paul. None of the wisdom comes from me, let me just say that up front. I simply have the honour of taking us through and teaching it on this prayer today. Uh, There's no commands from this passage to pray, but I think our prayer life ought to be shaped by this prayer. God's very kind uh, to give us insight into what the Apostle Paul prayed uh, for the church that he was ministering to in Ephesi. Paul is keen to have them truly grasp Christ and have their core transformed by his love. Uh, You might have even noticed that the uh, title for today's sermon is uh, Powerful Christian Living. This might jump out at you as not very Presbyterian, maybe a bit too charismatic. What's what's Alderberry getting up to when Aaron's away? Uh, None of that. Uh, I've gone with this heading today is because power is central uh, to Paul in this prayer and it ought to be central to our prayer lives too. So I'd like you to think for just a moment what you think power looks like in the life of a Christian. Maybe think of somebody who's a few years ahead, a few decades ahead, and think about them and think about what does power look like in their life. Uh, Many churches emphasise power in different ways. Uh, Liturgical circles, power all lays in the religious experience of repeating the same thing week in, week out. Uh, In charismatic churches, uh, it might be extraordinary spiritual gifts such as healing, tongues, exorcism, and even prophecy. Maybe in evangelical circles, uh, power is to the the person who's just the shameless evangelist, or maybe even somebody with gifts of teaching. Uh, Liberal churches might say power comes through volunteerism and enlightenment. By the end of the sermon, uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to explain what powerful Christian living looks like. Uh, The second idea I want to put in the front of our minds up front is the idea of stagnation in the Christian life. Maybe uh, right now you're feeling distant from God and you've not been seeing any growth recently. It's easy in the Christian life to just plateau, to think the glory days are behind me. And just drift into a sense of joylessness, apathy and emptiness. Simply kind of going through the motions. Have you ever experienced a season like this? Or should I say, have you yet experienced a season like this? Times when reading the Bible seems dry, monotonous and even boring. Times when other things just seem more appealing. Times when other things excite you far more than God. All right, that's the introduction finished. Hopefully somebody that can keep two things in the back of your mind. 
So that is power in the life of a Christian and stunted growth in the life of a Christian. All right, let's get stuck into the first point on the practicalities of prayer. I know you've been missing Aaron and the alliterations, so here it is, the practicalities of prayer. Verse 14, uh, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul kneels before God in prayer. He prostrates himself to acknowledge his lowliness in contrast to the God who has created the heavens and the earth. And we see here, Paul is supremely influenced by his adoption as God's child. Notice that it's to his father to whom he prays. Boldly, Paul is coming before the God who loves him. I remember when this first hit me, I became a Christian and I'd been a Christian for about six months and I was praying with a, with a dear friend called Rachel. When we'd pray together, she'd put her hands in her head and kind of put her head on the edge of the table. She'd come to God in prayer with such awe and reverence, yet at the same time she was so assured and that, that really influenced her prayers. She got how big God is and she got that she was approaching the King of Kings, yet she knew intimately God as her father. I really do thank God for Rachel's ministry to me. You see, prayer is something that is caught and not taught. Now, before you switch off, if that's a phrase you've heard a million times, I really do think prayer is caught and not taught. We learn it from others as we actually pray together. I sometimes wonder whether our blind spot in the Australian church is our prayerlessness, our sin and our arrogance to think that we can do it without God's help, where we take the relationship we have with our Father for granted. And and maybe because of this, we don't prioritise prayer and it actually essentially means we pray less and less. It's like a downward spiral. So as Paul prays, can I encourage us to be a community that prays as well? As we gather together in gospel communities, as we gather at church, as we meet with Christian friends, let's have prayer on our agenda. Bryce even cornered me before the sermon to say there's an app now called Prayer Mate that you can kind of make a little list. You can kind of even subscribe into other organisations' prayer lists and, and hopefully we might even have uh, Darabin up there soon. It's a helpful little tool that we could use. It's called uh, Prayer App. Talk to Bryce and even some other people. Prayer Mate. There you go. Thanks, brother. Um, but, but as well as this, I think we should also have times where we specifically set aside to pray together, where we boldly and shamelessly come before our Father in heaven and ask him to do great things amongst us and great things in this city. So having said that, can I invite you to the fortnightly prayer meeting that happens on a Saturday morning? Or even if that doesn't suit, to come and pray with us from 4 to 4.15 before church on Sundays. We're all busy, I get that, but if something's important enough for us, we will make time for it. We should prioritise coming before our Father in heaven. And by doing this as a community, we can spur one another on in this endeavour. And we'll be richly rewarded and encouraged as we spend time with our Father in heaven. 
in these prayer meetings, I have a dear friend that keeps praying for revival in this city. And he keeps praying that churches might be raised up that pray for revival. How that encourages me every time I hear him pray. This is somebody that's teaching me how to pray. Uh, there's one other practical thing I, I want to pull out before uh, from these verses about prayer. Paul actually kneels before God. Now, in the church I grew up with, we kind of had pews where you'd kind of sit and kneel, and that was kind of part of the, the experience of doing church. And I'm not suggesting we kind of get the pews out here with those little kneely thingies. But I do want to think about how we physically approach God in prayer. Are we willing to come before God in prayer and kneel? Does this seem odd to you? I do wonder sometimes in our circles whether we're afraid to show emotion and prostrate ourselves before our Father. So can I encourage you, if you want to kneel or lift up your hands in prayer or praise to God publicly on a Sunday, then that's a good thing for you to do. We don't always have to let the label of frozen chosen as Presbyterians Stick with us. Have you ever heard that phrase, frozen, sto- frozen chosen? We kind of sit there singing our hymns with our arms behind our back, showing no emotion at all. God calls us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And if that manifests itself publicly on a Sunday, then that's a good God-honouring thing. If we're unmoved by what God has done for us in Christ then I would question whether we truly get it. All right. Now, uh, before we get into the crux of Paul's prayer from verse 16 onwards, I want us to look back at what Paul has already laid down for us in chapters 1 through 3. Notice in verse 14, the passage today starts with, For this reason. This prayer comes out of all that God has done for us in Christ, all that Paul has laid down in the first three chapters of the letter to Ephesians. So I'm going to get Ricky up here, and she's going to read out these spiritual blessings to us. I want to do this for two reasons. Firstly, uh, for those who might have missed what what has come before, it's kind of a a helpful catch-up. But secondly, and the main reason I want us to do this, is because I I want it to sink in. You might just even want to close your eyes and just hear afresh what the Lord Jesus has done for you. Let the core of your being just listen in. Thanks, Rick. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In the first half of Paul's prayer, he's really keen that the Ephesians might grasp the reality that Jesus lives in them. Let me read verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays that the Ephesians' inner being might be transformed. Now, the inner being, it's the core of who somebody is. It's their heart. It's, it's, it's the identity of you. It's your center. Now, before becoming Christians, the Ephesians' inner being had no life in them. They were in the darkness and separated from God. Yet by grace, God has made them alive in Christ. By the blood of Christ, God has reconciled them to himself and made them part of his family. It's a miraculous outworking of God. But, but there's more. Have a look at verse 17. Christ now dwells in their hearts. Through God's spirit, Jesus takes up residence in them. And Paul prays that their inner being might be captivated by Christ. He wants, them, he wants Christ to truly be at the centre of their lives. Paul prays that they might get it, that they might truly grasp that Christ lives in them. Now, Paul knows theologically that this has already happened in the past. He's seen them become Christians. He gets that. The Spirit is already dwelling in them, and he knows that. Yet, he still prays that their inner being might be strengthened with power. He still prays that as time goes on, they will be more and more affected by Jesus. There's a real danger that the Ephesians center their lives on other things. It's easy to go back to your old ways and be unaffected by Jesus. Wouldn't that be a shame? Now, I've met people over the years that have a real poor theology on this. They say, Jesus lives in me. I can just rest on my laurels and do nothing. It's a false understanding of the purposes that God has 
for Jesus dwelling in us. God wants us to be transformed as Jesus lives in us. Let me share an illustration that I'm hoping will kind of tie all this together. Picture a couple who have uh, just saved up enough money to buy their first house. Uh, it's a bit of a dump. Let's pretend it's in Reservoir. Uh, yep. Oh, sorry. I should have said kind of, let's pretend it's in Thornbury. Um, now, this couple can't afford much. This house requires a lot of work, right? It needs to be painted. There's rubbish all in the backyard. The pipes just are clogged and don't work. The bathroom pipes leak. There's no heating or cooling whatsoever. But even with all this work ahead of them, they're chuffed. They've got their first home. They've got their foot in the door. As the months slip into years, this couple starts chipping away and fixing this house. The father-in-law helps fix the back deck. They redo the paper. Uh, they redo the, the pipe work, they paint the house. It's hard work for them. It's on their weekends, it's on their holidays, it's costly. But they persevere and they just keep chipping away. 25 years on, it's a sunny Saturday morning. They're sitting out the back drinking a cafe latte. The kids are at Saturday sport, they're having a great time together. And the wife turns to the husband and she says, You know what? This house really meets our needs. I'm comfortable here. Now, I want to suggest that this uh, illustration represents the life of a Christian. When Jesus first takes up residence in us, it's a bit of a mess, isn't it, when he first dwells in us? We're all broken and sinful, all in our unique ways. Yet even so, irrespective of who we are or where we're at, Jesus is happy and pleased to dwell in us. Over the years, through our work and through God's work, we're changed. We learn to love God rightly and love others rightly. We dis- as we discern and meditate on all that Jesus has done for us, this strengthens our core. As we repent and turn from other things, Christ is formed in us. As life throws opposition and disappointment and discouragement and persecution at us, we're moulded and transformed to become more like Jesus. Over time, Jesus is more and more comfortable to live in us. Over time, our lives are more and more truly centred on Christ. Over time, our inner being is powerfully transformed as Christ lives in us. So can, can I just pause for a minute and ask, is this something we kind of stop and ponder on? That the God who created the heavens and the earth is willing and able to dwell in you if you're a believer. Have you grasped that Jesus has taken up residence in you? Do we pray that our core might be strengthened with power as Christ dwells in us. It's kind of easy to know this as a fact and just kind of take it for granted as we go through the motions. Uh, Paul prays that through Jesus dwelling in the Ephesians, their inner being might be strengthened and transformed. Let me keep reading uh, Paul's prayer from verse 17b. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul first prays that they might be rooted and established in love. As the Ephesians experience the love of Christ, it transforms, it shapes how they love one another. This is not a new idea, a new biblical idea for us. As you experience the love of God, it transforms how you love others. My wife even gave me a nice helpful illustration at this point. I preached this sermon to her and she critiqued it and she said, this is a better illustration. So thanks, Beck. 3RW told her over the weekend that this last weekend was the time to plant what? Any guesses? Tomatoes. Put your hand up if you got your tomatoes in. Yeah, all right. See a few hands. Thank you. Hardly any though. Next weekend would still be okay as well. Now, as I'm at Bunnings with Walter and the family and we're doing our thing, I'm buying these tomatoes and I'm thinking, man, I, I want these to be rooted and established. I want their, their roots just to go deep. I want in February to have tomatoes up the back on Sunday just to, to give to everyone. That's what Paul's praying here for the Ephesians, isn't he? That their love might be grounded and grow. And Paul prays for the whole community, that the whole church might grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. That their inner beings might be melted by this reality. That together they might experience Jesus' love deeper and deeper. Paul prays that they might powerfully get it. He prays that their core might truly grasp the love of Christ. Now this prayer ought to shape what we pray for ourselves. It ought to shape what we pray for our community. It ought, it ought to shape what we pray for those we're seeking to share the gospel with. Pray that there might be a powerful experience of Christ's love and that minds might be blown away. I sometimes wonder whether we have too small a view of God in prayer, simply asking him for that job or this material need. Now, now these are good things to ask God and, and we should ask God for these things. But we should also ask him to powerfully transform lives through the love of Christ. I remember when I first became a Christian sitting in a politics lecture for two hours just being like, wow, this is amazing. While I was still rebelling against God, while I was still shaking my fist at him, Jesus died for me and there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. It just blew me away. I do remember still. Now, I realise all of us, not all of us might have had powerful conversion stories like this, but I'm sure that all of us have been at some point either knocked out by God's love or experienced forgiveness for that sin or felt God intimately holding us and keeping us and guiding us through that season, or where we've felt God's love in a real and tangible way. Can you think of any times like this? I want to ask us, are we intently aware of the love of Christ? Have we truly understood it? Have we grasped how loved we are? Are we centred? On this love. 
Or have we in spiritual blindness forgotten about this love? Right now, is, is it a bit hazy? Powerful Christian living is when you truly grasp Christ. When your inner being, your inner self, your inner man, your inner woman gets that love. It's when everything is a blur, blur compared to how clear the love of Christ is in your life. It's when you experience this love profoundly and deeply. Friends, we've got to ensure that we're cultivating this love. We've got to be meditating on it. We've got to be singing about it. We've got to be praying about it. We've got to be speaking to each other about it so that we might be melted by the reality that we are loved in Christ. Now, if we're a community that is grasped by Jesus' love, it'll transform the way we do mission. It'll transform the way we share the gospel. It'll transform the way we love one another. Sacrificing and giving for the sake of the gospel will be a joy. Our marriages, our parenting, our jobs, our study will look entirely different. Uh, Paul finishes this prayer in verse 19 by saying that those who know Jesus' love will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. A person whose inner self has been grasped by Jesus' love will know God rightly and they will know him fully. This makes sense to us, doesn't it? The man or woman who has been transformed by God will know God's love and display God's love in all areas of their life. Now, I just want to think for a moment about those who might be feeling a bit distant from God right now. Maybe there's been lack of, of growth or transformation in your Christian life. You might be sitting there thinking, this power that Chris that you speak about, this transformation, it seems unattainable. You're dreaming. Well, can I suggest that maybe if you're not seeing any change, maybe it's because your life is centred on other things. Maybe other things have grasped you more than the love of Christ. How easy it is to be seduced by other things in our hedonistic world. To be more influenced by sport or Netflix or food or family or career or even something as, as silly as a computer game. More influenced by that than Jesus' love. Even I, someone who studies the Bible academically at a Bible college, can totally just not be focused on God, right? Enthralled by that series of cricket in South Africa. Numbed by a new TV entertainment system. Busying myself that I don't slow down and that I don't stop and meditate on all that Jesus has done for me and how truly loved I am. So as I'm up here banging on, can I ask, what's grasped you right now? What are you dreaming about? What's moulding and shaping your core is there repentance that is needed? Are there things you actively need to put off? Are there things that are entangling you that are taking up too much time and energy and effort? Are you conflicted as other things are competing with the centre of your being? Well, can I, can I encourage you, friends, if you're experiencing any of this, turn to the wonderful wisdom of Paul's prayer here. 
pray that you might experience power as your inner being grasps Christ's love. Pray that God might give you another glimpse and another taste of Jesus' love for you. Now, as well as praying this prayer, it might even be worth implementing some practical things that will help your inner self be strengthened. We've got a relationship with God, so we should be speaking to him. We should be listening to what he says. That's how relationships work, right? My marriage functions best when I'm listening well and when I'm talking well to Beck. So too with God. We need to be ensuring that we're listening to his word. This takes time and energy and effort, doesn't it? Getting up early before work to read the Bible, to pray, or diligently making sure it happens at night before you go to bed. Putting in place times where you're reading about God's love for you in Christ, where you're journaling and you're reflecting on all that God has done and all that God is doing in your life. It might also help to to place yourself in Christian community, making it a priority to meet together so that your Christian brothers and sisters can remind you about what Jesus has done for you, about how loved you are. When we're vulnerable, when we're honest, when we're making an effort to go to gospel communities and meeting together, when we have people in our lives that can ask hard questions about whether we're centering our lives on Jesus. Maybe going to that conference is a, is a helpful thing for you to learn more about Jesus' love. All right, let's, uh, let's finish off our time together by reading verses 20 to 21. Uh, Paul finishes uh, this part of the prayer off with a doxology. Now, if you don't know what doxology means, join the club. I have to look it up. Here it is. It's a spontaneous shouting of praise for all that God has done. Let's read it. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can I hear an amen? Uh, Friends, God is in the process of transforming you. God wants your inner self to truly grasp Christ. To grasp that Jesus lives in you. To grasp that Jesus loves you. And to experience this in a powerful and transformative way. And the reality is, the encouragement here at the end... God is willing and able to do far more than you could ever hope, ask or imagine. He is a great God that loves us. To him be the glory. Warwick's going to come up now and he's going to lead us in a time of prayer.